December the 16th, 2018, Lesson 52 from Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at 16, 17, and 18. We're talking about fasting, and as I was sharing, that never taught a lesson on fasting before. So going through and looking at the specifics uh, of it in God's Word and digging through the, the commentaries and so forth, it's pretty straightforward. We'll try to get a handle on perhaps why Christ would even bring this particular issue up uh, and what He wanted to convey uh, to His hearers, why it was important. And it's, it's right in there again with this overall theme that we've seen in this particular portion of Scripture where He's talking about the condition of the heart. The condition of the heart. And if that's... Uh, if that's the way we view this, then you're going to be on target because that's what he's talking about. He's asking for the hearers, whether he's, as he's done in the past, he's talking about prayer specifically, uh, fasting here, wealth later, some of the things that we'll look at. And it's about relationship, and we'll make this point throughout. It's about, as we've said before, as Paul tells us, examining ourselves as he says even to see whether we be in the faith but to examine ourselves to see what our motivations are why do we do what we do when we do it particularly if it's in any way associated with worship or public worship because the bible makes it clear that god almighty is a discerner of the heart very difficult for for you and i to look at an individual and make judgments about them regarding the condition of their heart. God does that. Now we can look at a person's manifestations, the things they do and don't do with regularity, and the Bible would would agree that that says more about that person than anything, than any one particular statement, than any one particular act perhaps. But God wants us to look at our, if you will, our... MOS, our method of operation, whatever, what they say in the military, mode of operation or mode of service, I think it is. He wants us to do that. And this, this kind of introspection, this type of examination is good. It's, it's cleansing for us. We talked in Community Group Friday about even an example that you might see, like with Joshua, before they went to Jericho, you would recall that he called the people together and he used the term there, he said, you need to consecrate yourselves. What does that mean? Could that in any way involve prayer and fasting and all these kinds of things? Well, it indeed could. It's talking about a specific time frame, a specific time period where all the focus is upon God, which involves an inward examination. Does it not? We come before Him... With purity, we come before Him with purity of purpose is what I'm talking about. And allow Him and His Word to, to put His spiritual finger on each and everything in our life that might serve as a stumbling block to hearing Him clearly in His Word. So Christ, again, regarding this issue of fasting, He's just addressing these hypocritical religious practices that were present during His day. And we'll look at that specifically. These are principles that he's talking about for that particular group, but they really apply to everybody because they deal with issues of the heart. 
And every person in their own way, in their private worship, public worship, they have to deal with this. We could ask the question this morning, why are you here this morning? What is your intent for being here? And when we go out uh, later uh, for the service, what, why are you there? What, what do you want to leave with? Okay. What, how, what do you want to happen while you're here? Do you just want to feel better about yourself? Or do you have a burden that needs to be relieved? Do you need direction in your life? What do you need? Why are you here? But we're here first and foremost to worship Him. Again, he makes this uh, statement about people who get involved in these things. We looked at prayer. They do it to be seen by other people. He says, don't do it to be seen by men. Don't do that. In fact, as we'll see once again, you have your reward if that's your intent. You will be rewarded but it'll be right here, and it'll be an earthly, manly award. And that's it. And the language, again, same language indicates that there's nothing else. That's it. That's what it means. That, that is your reward, period, done, because you got what you wanted. So again, an issue of the heart. And we're coming to the end here. Christ continues with this theme. That in itself tells us something, that He does this because it is so important. Or perhaps because it's hard for us to get the message about that. And to deal with that between our ears and in our heart. And to bring ourselves before Him in a manner that's going to be pleasing to Him. Let me ask you this. Don't, you don't have to share, but in your own personal, private time of prayer, let me ask you. In the midst of that, have you ever been corrected? Have you? In, in your mode, in the way that you're going about it, in the things that you're doing. Has the Word of God, the Spirit of God, intervened in your private worship there to kind of polish it up a little bit? Maybe just a thought. Maybe just an attitude, right? That's a hindrance to a holy, perfect God. Now that's, that's intimate fellowship. And we subject ourselves to that. Well, what about fasting in particular? Fasting specifically. It's always been practiced for various reasons throughout history. Obviously, uh, pagan worship grabs a hold of it. They're usually about overeating more than they are fasting, but they do jump on fasting as well. Some believe that demons entered the body through food. A little history there. So they gave attention to this issue about fasting and so forth. Some believe that visions and other mystical insights were a result from fasting. And this would have been predominant in the world that Jesus was in when uh, He's teaching on this. Some of the, or some do it for physical or for cosmetic reasons. You know, even today, diet programs, there are things that you can stay away from that will clear up your skin, I'm sure. You know, those kind of things. And fasting is seen there as well. But the Bible doesn't record any practical reasons for fasting. Do you believe that? It's not. They're not in there. No practical reasons. And we know there are some. We can stay away from certain foods and experience you know, some uh, positive things happening to us physically. Uh, but that's not what the Bible's about. And the Bible doesn't address any of that. It always has a spiritual purpose when it's talked about. In the Bible, it's always for a spiritual purpose. 
You find it in the Old Testament. You could go back and look at a list of people who fasted. They're there, same in the New Testament. It's there, it's understood, it's accepted, as we'll see in Jesus' words here. The early church fathers fasted. History is right with information about them and the results of their fasting and so forth. It's mentioned some 30 times in the New Testament and almost always in a favorable manner. So, fasting is a reality. There's only one fast, really there's only one command in the Scriptures to fast. Anybody know where it is? Well, it surrounds the Day of Atonement. You're looking at Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29, and you can go and look at 23 and 27. You have to look a little bit hard to find it. (coughs) But the command there is to fast. That's the only one that you'll find in Scripture. Leviticus 16.29 reads, This shall be a permanent statute for you in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. You shall humble your souls. Keep that phrase in mind. We'll have to go back to that. Humble your souls and do not do any work whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. Whoever. You say, well, where's the word fast? Well, what you have to understand here is this phrase, humble your souls, is a Hebrew expression that always included forsaking food as an act of self-denial. That was always present. So we can read the word there, understand that phrase, and know that that's what he's talking about. And again, you could go back and or look forward, I guess, and link this with information about consecration and so forth. So this was a practice at least regarding the atonement. Excuse <coughs> me. Day of Atonement that was a command, a particular command. This would have been a national fast that included every man, it included every woman, it included every child in Israel. They were supposed to take part in that particular fast. But it's not otherwise commanded, but it's spoken of favorably. It's not required after this, but it is dealt with. It's assumed to be a voluntary expression. John Calvin says this, many for want of knowing its usefulness undervalue its necessity, and some reject it altogether as superfluous, while on the other hand, where the proper use of fasting is not well understood, it easily degenerates into superstition. So maybe it's good that we look at it from a biblical perspective to see exactly what it is. First off, is it right? Is it acceptable? What does the Bible say about that? And what does it not say? And then we'll move on from there. Well, specifically amongst the Jews where you might see fasting involved, and in fact you would see, were really three basic corporate events in their world. There was the Jewish New Year, which always involve fasting. And then this was, there was this issue that dealt with uh, historical reflection as they would look back maybe on particular tragedies or notable events in their uh, religious life. They would fast as they remembered those things, particularly difficult things that God had brought them out of. <clears throat> Literally times of famine. You know, Israel was subjected to famines many 
many times in siege and so forth and battles and so on and so forth. And God showed up and made His presence known. And they fast in remembrance of those things. Then you, of course, got times of continual national crisis. Probably one of the biggest ones was when there was no rain. Because in their agrarian life, no rain was a big deal. It was a huge deal. And actually, the way they handled that information that I found, they would find a person each year, and this was a position of honor, they would find a, a particular rabbi or someone, and they would be tasked with the, uh, the, the task of praying for rain, literally. That's what they would do. And they had a certain date in the year that if they had not received rain by that time, then they would begin incorporating uh, the rest of the ministry and so forth, the other rabbis. And if that didn't work, then it became a time of national prayer and fasting. And the person that they went to the first time to ask to, to pray for rain, if it did indeed rain, uh, as they would see it you know, at the result of that individual person's prayers, then that, that person, their prayers and fasting, then that person was uh, greatly honored. So even in that, the Scriptures would indicate you had people coming forward who wanted to be that person. They wanted to be that guy. So once again, it became a condition of the heart even from that perspective. They knew that if it did indeed rain, they were going to be held in high esteem. I guess you know this person really has the, the ear of God, if you will. And that was a temptation perhaps for them. But most often in Jewish life, it had something to do with extreme grief, you know, a time of extreme mourning, uh, and often times of repentance. But unfortunately, uh, at least up to Jesus' day there, uh, repentance had finally gone by the wayside for the most part. It was more about practical things. So in verse uh, 16 of chapter 6, where we begin, Jesus says this, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. As we've already emphasized. Now the use of the word there, whenever, you know, lets us know that there's an assumption here that this is going to happen. So this is an, an accepted Thing. And of course, in Christ's day, he knew uh, what had been given in Leviticus, okay, or around, surrounding the Day of Atonement, but he also knew that there were other times when people fasted for different reasons. And those things are not discouraged. The word fast does literally mean not to eat, to abstain from food. But it's a little more broad than that because it could include like a, a partial fast you know, maybe for part of the day, or sometimes they would uh, call a fast that just stayed away from certain types of food, all right? We might look at it as certain types of uh, maybe rich food. They would take enough, maybe just maybe bread and water or something just to, to be able to stay on their knees and pray or whatever if they were truly fastidious. The fast could include those types of activities as well. But it was another aspect of Jewish life quite frankly, that had been perverted. 
And it was something else that had been used, particularly in religious circles, to call attention to one's self. And this is what Christ is bringing to light here. Many Pharisees fasted twice a week. You may be familiar with the passage in Luke chapter 18, verse 20, where you've got the Pharisee and the publican going up to pray. And you remember that was part of his declaration. Lord, I fast twice a week. I'm just as righteous as anybody you would want to find. Normally it was the second and fifth day of the week, which would have been Monday and Thursday. And this is interesting. You remember when we were talking about the prayers and how they would pray and draw attention to, to themselves. You remember what it recorded that they would go to the most busy section, the most busy street. The, the, the languages, if you recall, the original language was very specific about that. It was the place, definite article, the place where most people were gathered, and that's where they would go and do their public prayers, as he said there and here, to be noticed by men. Well, it's interesting here, regarding the fast that these two particular days, Mondays and Thursdays, historical fact, were the two major market days when more people were there. So you may say, well, did they, <laughs> is that just happenstance that they picked those two days? Because there's nothing in Scripture. Now they would tell you that they picked those days because according to their understanding of history, those were the two days that Monday and that Thursday, that Moses traveled up to receive the stone tablets, okay? The two times that he did that. Remember, he got them, he came down, and he busted them up, and then he had to go back and get them again. They would tell you that that's why they observed those two days. But it just happens to be the two major <laughs> market days as well, okay? Your Honor, I rest my case. That's what I hear. Well, R.T. France in... The Tyndall New Testament commentary says this. And I always like it when I'm reading these commentaries. And these guys, you can tell, they, they know a lot. They know a lot of fancy words and they're trying to be just down to earth. And for the most part, they are. But when France is commenting on this, he makes this statement. He says, strict Pharisees fasted at least twice a week and they made sure that everybody knew it. That's what he puts in there and then he goes on to something else. And that kind of makes it clear. Kind of makes it clear. Don't put on a gloomy face, he says. Or neglect your appearance. And it literally it's talking about purposefully disheveling yourself. Messing up your hair. Putting stuff on your face. You know the references to sackcloth and ashes. They would literally put dirt on their face. They would literally use makeup, theatrical makeup on occasion, to make themselves look pale. Oh, I'm so fasting. Oh, I'm going to go fast some more. You know, it is kind of pathetic when you think about it. But this is what's recorded. This is what happened. And Christ says, look, let's just call it what it is. You're doing it to be seen. Your not, heart's not prepared to go before God. You've not sought out your prayer closet, you know, if it's a matter of prayer. And you're, you're not keeping your, your fasting and your humbleness before God just between you and God, now I'm not against us. If something's working for you, if you can give me something that will help me lose 15 pounds in two weeks, I'll do it. Okay, and you can share that with me. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about petitioning God, coming closer to Him, which will always mean coming away from the things of this world, 
coming out of the flesh, letting our desires and our priorities be scrutinized by the Word of God and the power of God, we want to know that we've been in His presence when we get up off our knees, when we raise our face up off the ground, or whatever your posture is. We want to know that we've heard from God, that He's present. If we haven't heard, we want that overwhelming sense of His uh, presence with us. We want to know if it's repentance that our sin burden has been relieved. We want to know that. We must be pure in our desire for that. Christ says it's important. It's important when we come before Him. So no show. Again, the heart must be right in order for fasting, prayer, any of these things to be profitable. And again, I add, as he adds, they have, we have our reward. We know what the pretentiousness will result in for us. So verse 17, fairly succinct, he says, but, but you, and he's talking to his followers, his believers, those who've committed to him, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Okay? Don't, in other words, don't appear to be fasting. And same as in, in verse 16 that we looked at, he indicates fasting is normal and acceptable in Christian life. Not a problem there, but he doesn't give a command. There's not a command to fast here. He doesn't talk about a particular place to go and fast, for sure. He doesn't talk about a particular time to fast, nor does he talk about a particular method. Only that there is an expectation, uh, an allowable expectation, that some will fast. And if they're not fasting because of the command over the Day of Atonement, and they're fasting for other reasons... He deals only with the heart. With the intent of the heart. That's what He deals with. The single prescribed occasion of fasting as we've discussed from Leviticus there, the Day of Atonement, was over after Christ's sacrifice, right? After the cross. No more need for that. That was a fulfillment as Christ said, I've not come to destroy the law. I've not come to destroy all that. I've come to fulfill it. So after the cross, all you've got left is the voluntary desire of people to come and to fast. It's part of their private worship, their private preparations before God, not before men. Again, not to be seen as fasting, but an intimate time with God. And I tell you, we can look back on our lives in times of fasting. And those are most often times that are grave in our life. We're praying for the hand of God and a healing hand of God. And we're praying for the power of God to convict of sin in the life of our family members and others that we know and love who don't know Christ, people who've been placed upon our heart a burden by the Spirit of God, by the mandates of God's Word. And we're under that. We're bearing that burden. And we're praying. And we're fast, We're coming before God. 
God hears. He hears that prayer. Well, Hebrews 10.10 regarding the fulfillment that was brought about by Christ's sacrifice simply says, Hebrews 10.10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. He's done that. He's done that for us. So when do we fast? Well, to be sure, times of sorrow, times of danger, times of great humility. That's interesting. Has the Word of God and the Spirit of God ever driven you to a point where you've sought a greater humility? Because that's a huge stumbling block in our ministry and in our prayer life. If we can't approach our Heavenly Father in abject humility. So we have those kinds of things. Times of repentance. Times of answered prayer. Times when we're beginning a particular task. A time to work. A time when we don't have a lot of time to waste, which should always be our attitude, I guess. But we just we want to see God's hand in what we're doing. We want to be effective. We want to be yielded over to Him. We might fast in preparation of that. So anoint your head, wash your face. You know, this is just about grooming, really. He's talking about just maintaining a, a normal appearance. And of course, the purpose is not to attract attention to yourself. This is what he's talking about. Well, let's move on to verse 18. And he says to do that so that your fasting will, be, will not be noticed by men. That's your, your directive. But by your Father, rather, who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Our goal, specifically, in the language, is not to be noticed by anyone. It's talking about making a particular effort not to be noticed. Not, not just not doing things, you know, putting on makeup and disheveling your clothes and your hair, but anything else. Just between you and God. A precious time between you and your Heavenly Father. And we have a promise here that our Heavenly Father, based upon this relationship, Hears. It may be in secret. It's just like that place of the prayer closet that we talked about earlier when we were talking about coming before Him in prayer and preparations for that prayer. The emphasis here again is on relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. Period. That's all you want. You don't need anybody else there. You don't need anybody else involved. A precious, intimate time between you and your Heavenly Father. That's what he's talking about. Your father, he adds, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There is an emphasis here on the power of God in these matters. He's omniscient. He he knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. And He will hear. There are no other special preparations needed. He's promised that He will be there and that He will here, and we're the ones who can muddy up the water with the wrong attitude, with the wrong desires, the wrong preparations. We're the ones who can do that. So how do we 
finish up looking at this. I gave you a quote here from MacArthur that, that bears out something that I didn't see anywhere else, and I want to share this with you. He adds that the one who sincerely wants to please God will studiously avoid trying to impress men. He will determine not to be seen fasting by men, but by God the Father who is in secret, as we read. Jesus, here it is. Jesus does not say we should fast for the purpose of being seen even by God. Listen to this. Fasting is not to be a display for anyone, including God. You follow that? We'll look at that. Genuine fasting is simply a part of concentrated intense prayer and concern for the Lord, His will, and His work. Jesus' point is that the Father never fails to notice fasting, that is heartfelt and genuine, and that He never fails to reward it. We see it in its proper place. It is strictly preparatory. It's not even for the person or for the purpose, rather, saying, okay, God, I've done this, see this. That's not what it's about. You see, that's a fine line, I know. But I thought that was an interesting comment, and I see the validity of it. It's not that, okay, I hadn't eaten for a whole day. You've got to hear me. It's not that. It's deeper than that. It's a preparation of the heart. It's, it's literally coming apart from the things and the desires of the world that we may focus upon the things of God. That's, that's the result of it. That's the power of it, if you will. Not in just a thing done. Have I made that as clear as, as I can? I think I have. So I thought that was an interesting, interesting comment. And I thought to myself, how do I want to end this? And I thought, well, let's just look at one example because you can go back, as I said, and you can find a number of examples in the Word of God. Man, <laughs> Where? I didn't get my other one. Where? I know my uh, podium is shrinking on me here. But where people prayed and, and fasted, you always see those two together. But my mind went to Daniel and Daniel's prayer in chapter 9, if you want to turn there. You know, Daniel's one of the few people, I've heard some preachers say one of only two people in the Bible where no negative comment is made about him. And he was a man of great determination, of, of uh, great humility. And we learn so much by looking at Daniel. We know of his faithfulness. We know of his power in prayer. So why not take a moment and just look at his preparations in prayer. And you can't really separate Prayer and fasting here. We could have gone to this verse as well when we were looking at praying, particularly. But look here in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. And he says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Midian descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, some of the old Persian folks, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem. What's he talking about here? He's talking specifically about that 70-year period of captivity. He's looking at that. And he knows about that. And he knows that that's uh, being fulfilled. He's thinking about the things of God. And God's put him in a position of of prayer and and leadership namely he says specifically the 70 years and in verse 3 
Listen, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to what? To seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting. Now this is the heart of Daniel. And we know that Daniel was a man, even as a young man, of great discipline, was he not? We know back in the first chapter, he's dealing with food initially there because he had made commitments about not taking certain things into his body, which as a good Jewish boy wouldn't, wouldn't be right. And they didn't want to eat what the king had sent down for them to eat, remember? The whole story, I won't go into that again, but he said he purposed in his heart. Do you remember that? He had made up his mind not to defile himself with the portions of the king's meat. He wasn't going to do that. Even as a young boy. And he was quite young there. You could speculate. 15, 16 years old. Who knows? Maybe a little younger. Maybe a little older. But he was faithful to that. To that. Now here, he's decided to give his attention to the things of God regarding this matter. What's, what's in store for the people of God based upon the prophecy of Jeremiah and the 70 years? And he says that fasting was a part of that. With sackcloth and ashes. Not to be seen by people because we know that Daniel's prayer was in private. To humble himself before God. To subject himself only to God. He says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God. And what did he do? Did he get right to the topic? No. And confessed, he says, and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. Now I might add, and I don't want the point to go by or the opportunity to go by without making the point. We alluded to this earlier that this is, this is where we see the rubber meet the road in the life of a person who claims to be a Christian. Here it is. It's those who keep His commandments. It's those whose manner of life, whose method of life, the, the, the thing that comes to our mind when we think about that person is their faithfulness, their dedication to God. We're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what generally and specifically characterizes an individual. What makes them Christian? What makes us comfortable saying that person is a true Christian? Because they're obedient. And their desire is for obedience to the commandments. And he adds plainly, we have sinned. We've sinned. We can't come before you if we're not clean. We've committed iniquity. We've acted wickedly. And we've rebelled even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. I think it's easy to see. And it's not an assumption. Daniel is not just throwing out words here. He's talking about the preparations of his heart. That's what he's talking about. His heart is prepared and he's genuine in what he's doing. His prayer is based upon the Word of God. He has a sincere desire to know and to please God first and foremost. His prayer is characterized by fervency, by self-denial. 
He mentions the fasting. You might say that in this, he's totally unselfish. He's not selfish in any way. It always involves confession. So, we just take a moment, a brief moment, to look at Daniel's example. And to see all these things come together, Daniel's uh, desire, the, the, his purpose, his commitment to, to fast and to pray and to come aside and to hear and to know in conjunction with God's Word what's next for the people. And we know what happened. You know, he sees a vision, an angel talks to him, gives him direction. You know, he's talked to them before, he's talked to them again. God deals with him and gives him the information that he needs. It'd be tempting to, to stop right here and go back and look at some of those verses, maybe in chapter 4, I believe, where he, he talks about him being over the wise men there. Daniel was given charge over those people, which means, you know, there's not a lot of information, but he was their boss, if you want to say. He was in charge of them, the wise men, because of what he had done. And you look at the history of what was going on there, and you look at this these different religions, this Zoroastrianism and all that, and you can begin to link up in so many ways Daniel's influence and involvement with that group of people which we know now as the Magi and see that without a doubt, I mean, can't say for sure, but it had to be Daniel's influence. How did those people know what to look for? I mean, we're on the verge of celebrating Christmas they're looking for that. We know about his star. We know about this. We know that there's to be one born, the king of Israel. How did they know that? These people, that this, this religion they had was kind of a mixture of astrology and Judaism, this Zoroastrianism thing. It, it most assuredly was the influence of Daniel. Daniel. So we're on the verge of that. And I'll just make this final point. You never know, you never know what God is going to do through the faithfulness of His church. When we look at it this way on this side of the cross, we're in the church, thank God. But He was a man of God and there were people who were men and women of God then. God works through His people. And it ought to be a great joy for us to find not once, not twice, but several times when we can come before God for the sole purpose of putting off the cares of the world, for doing whatever we have to do to bring our bodies, as Paul would say, under subjection to God, to not be dominated by any influence. Again, Paul, I've, all things are lawful, but I'll not be dominated by any, he said. Whatever it is, put it off that I can come before God as just as sincere and with a desire to be clean as I can be, that's the least we can do. And I can assure you that our Heavenly Father, if we're in right relationship with Him, we'll take it from there. He'll do that. And He'll do great and wonderful things in the life and the body of a church that prays and submits itself to Him. A people that prepare themselves to hear from God and then to serve Him, to be obedient to Him in whatever He requires. God, help us to be that kind of church. Help us to be that kind of church that has that predominant reputation in this Woodstock community. 
those people over there, I want to say they're, they're serious about God. They're not legalistic. They're not any of that. They're loving. They're caring. They know the Word of God, and they live. They do the Word of God. They keep His commandments, and it's a great privilege to be even a part of preparing themselves to be such. Let's pray this morning.